to go. But I ran. Jaws. Hey, um, grab your Bibles. Turn to Jonah. If you remember Jonah's way back in the Old Testament and what we call the minor prophets, so you'll see Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. So uh, turn to the back of your Bibles, find Jonah. We're going to be in chapter one. Uh, and because it's only a page in most of your Bibles, I'm giving you a head start to be looking for it while I'm talking. Um, we're in week two of a series we're calling Overboard. And the idea of calling the series Overboard is uh, you have in this story uh, just this picture of everything being over the top. The storm, there's a worm that's pretty crazy. There's a plant that's pretty crazy. There's a fish that's over the top. Then Jonah's response is over the top. The sailor's response is over the top. God's response is over the top. So there's this picture of, of everything about the story seems above and beyond. It's, it goes overboard. And it's really, if you get down to the brass tacks, it is a story about a God who goes overboard to redeem his people. It's actually a foreshadowing of Christ himself in this picture of a God who would go to any extreme to redeem his people. So that's why we've called it Overboard. I want to remind you that I'm teaching from the English Standard Version. It's a little different translation than what's under your seat. What's under your seat is the older version of the NIV. Um, you're welcome to read along in the Bibles that are under your seat. It'll read a little bit different. Um, so some of you be like, why is it different? It's just a little different translation. ESV is what we're using. And I've put a sheet in your uh, bulletin. We're going to do that every week so that you can read along if you want from the ESV. Uh, there's also a place for you to take notes, and we want to encourage you to take notes as well. So let me recap where we are so far in the story before I read our passage today. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What does that mean? It means God spoke to Jonah, and he said, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. Great because it was an industrial hub. Great because it was a powerful uh, leader. The, the, it, was, it was a central place for this army of Assyria. So it's an, it's an incredible place. But God says, I want you to go there. But it's also great because of its evil. And so Jonah says, I don't want to go. Uh, maybe out of fear, uh, fear of his own uh, skin, maybe fear that they were going to repent. He says he didn't want them to have a chance to, to experience the grace of God. But nevertheless, he runs, right? So Jonah says no, he goes and he runs from God. And then what we saw last week is that God in his mercy, don't miss this, God in his mercy, in his love, sends a storm. And that's a good thing for us just to think about for a minute, that God actually brings this storm along as a way of loving Jonah. He's trying to get Jonah's attention. He's literally, if we remember the story, he's trying to wake him from his literal sleep and his spiritual sleep. God is going to do whatever he has to do to get to Jonah. So just a, a recap of some of the highlights of last week. We saw that, that, that Jonah is guilty of running from God. 
We saw that when Jonah runs from God, the disobedience is like in our own lives. Disobedience brings about a storm in his life. That storm is a way of God trying to get his attention. It's a way God tries to get our attention by using storms. The other thing we saw that when we run from God, when we willingly bring disobedience or sin into our lives, we find ourselves going deeper and deeper into dark places. And you'll see that as you read the story of Jonah, that he goes down to Nineveh, he goes down into the ship, he goes down into the sea. There's this picture of moving into darker and darker places, which is part of our story as well. The other thing we saw is that when God sends the storms, it affects everyone. We don't get to experience the storm all by itself. Those, there's collateral damage. The people in our lives, our family, our friends, in this case, the sailors are kind of the innocent bystanders who are affected by the storm. Okay, so Jonah's running from God. God sent this powerful storm. The ship is in peril. The sailors are, are acting in desperation to save their own skin. They're, they're scared. They've thrown the cargo off the ship to lighten their load, to make the ship more buoyant. They're going to do whatever they can do. Remember, they even said, whoever, if you have a God, pray to him. Doesn't matter who he is, just pray to your God. Do whatever you got to do. So that's where we are in the story, and we're going to start reading in verse 7. It says, and they, talking about the sailors, said to one another, come, let us cast lots. That just means some kind of drawing of straws. They had some kind of gambling almost system where they would let the lot fall on one person. It was probably little tiles. but So it says, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Big surprise there, right? Then they said to him, tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people are you? And Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And as if they weren't before, it says in verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had already told them. Verse 11, then he said to them, they, they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men, they rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let, not, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us the innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleases. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, then Noah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, which basically means hell, I cried. And you heard my voice. I was in hell, and I cried out to God, and he heard my cry. 
So what I want to do is pull out just a few observations. We've got a limited amount of time because of all the baptisms, but I want to make sure to pull out some observations and a little bit of application for us from, from this week's passage. The sailors, they cast lots. They identify that it's Jonah who is the cause of their problems, and they begin to literally interrogate him. They ask him all kinds of questions. But what I want you to do for a minute is I want you to engage your imagination. Because you can read this story, and in your mind, you can picture this group of guys, these sailors, and whatever sailors wear, and, and Jonah having a conversation. But you got to remember, they are in the middle of a storm. They have just thrown the cargo off the ship. I mean, think of every movie you've ever seen from Perfect Storm to whatever it is. I mean, it is the middle of the storm. They are on the bow of the ship, and they are yelling to one another while the, the rain is drenching them, and the wind, remember it says, it says that God hurled the wind against the ship. This is all still going on. As a matter of fact, we're going to see it's even getting worse. But this is the scene by which they're having their conversation. I think the story comes alive when you, when you imagine them on the bow of the ship. Who are you? What have you done? Why, what's the deal, man? Like, like what, what is going on, Jonah? What did you actually do? They're screaming at the top of their lungs. What is going on? And, and then look, and what does Jonah say? He, he yells. I'm sure he yelled because if he was talking in a quiet voice, they would have been like, dude, we can't hear you. There's a storm going on, right? So he yells back. He says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Look, I can tell you, the minute he said who he serves, that would have made the hair on the back of their neck stand up. I serve the God who made this sea that is about to destroy you. Right? I serve the God who made the heavens that are pouring down on top of you. And the thing that I also love about it is he says, I, it says, I fear the Lord. I fear Yahweh. And some of you, if you have the NIV, I think it says, I worship the Lord. Well, the word is fear. Go back and look it up in the earth. Like, it's, it's really fear. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself that they must have been thinking, like, not enough. <laughs> Dude, like, what gives here? You fear or you worship. You put whatever word you want in there. It doesn't seem like he's doing a very good job of fearing the Lord. But I can tell you at this moment, Jonah knows all the chips are up. And he, he's probably re-figured out that he needs to fear the Lord. He needs to worship the Lord. So he confesses his belief, even though he has sin in his life, even though he's doing some wrong things. He knows who he is. He knows who God is. And he confesses them. I, I fear the Lord, the one who made the heavens and the sea. They say to him, what have you done and what should we do that the sea may quiet down for us? I think it's fascinating that Jonah's sailors, his companions on the ship, they believe Jonah. We can see if you read the story, they don't really doubt what Jonah is saying. They've, they've seen enough evidence of God that when Jonah finally tells them, hey, here's the deal, Here's, here's who God is. Here's what's really going on. They don't, they don't seem to doubt it at all. As a matter of fact, they doubt it so little that they say to Jonah, well, if you know this God, if you worship this God, if you fear this God, what does this God want us to do? What's the solution to our problem? What is it that we should do? They know. And Jonah says, throw me in. Throw me in. But you got to remember, while all this is going on, what does it say? It says, while this was happening, the sea grew more and more tempestuous. I just like that word. Never used that word before, but I like the word. It's, it's getting worse 
Though they're having to yell even louder and the rain's coming down even harder and the wind is coming even harder. So the, the conversation is becoming more and more intense. The fear is becoming more and more intense. And they're saying, what should we do? Jonah says, there's just one solution to your problem. You just got to throw me in. Here's another clue that they believed Jonah's story about who God is and who he was. I fear, I worship the God who made the sea. So throw me into the sea. And you know what they said? That may not go well for us. If we kill him, then we have his blood on our hands and, and bad things are going to happen to us. So the, the text actually says they didn't really like that idea because they're already afraid of God because he's bringing this storm. I don't want to bring more wrath on his us. So it says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They did everything in their power to get out of this storm. It says, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, Lord, have done as it pleases you. I don't have time to go into it, but that last verse, verse 14, is a foreshadowing of Christ. The shedding of innocent blood to save the people. If you sacrifice Jonah... And then Jonah's in the belly for three days. It's, it's a picture of what we're going to see in Christ. That's why Jesus says the only sign you'll see is the sign of Jonah. So this is kind of the key verse that becomes that foreshadowing of Christ himself. But this becomes a key moment in the story for, for the sailors. It becomes a key moment in the story even for our own application. Because what we have to see now is that the sailors have reached the end of their rope. They've given up anything that they could possibly do. Remember, they've thrown the cargo off of the ship. They've prayed to their gods. They've, they've cried out to whoever they thought might help them, and they've done whatever they can do, and they've even grabbed the oars and tried to row back to, to shore. They have exhausted all of their mental and physical resources to escape the storm, and in the end, all they can say is, we give up. We can't fix this. There's nothing we can do on our own, so what do we, what, what do, we do? Jonah says, throw me into the sea. Verse 15 says, so they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from raging. That must've been a profound moment when you think about it. Like remember when Jesus was on the boat and they woke him up and he said a word and the sea stopped and they were all like, who is this man that speaks to the wind and it stops? Well, if they believed a little before, they believe a lot more now because the storm stops and it says, the men feared the exact same word, the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These Gentile sailors became followers of Yahweh. Think about this. Jonah's mission was to go to the Gentiles and tell them about Yahweh. That's what he said, go to Nineveh and tell them about me, right? Call out against them. And, and Jonah says, no, but God still uses Jonah. And I'm so perplexed by this, but God still uses Jonah. God still uses Jonah's disobedience. God still uses Jonah's testimony to bring a whole group of sailors to himself. The sailors received the salvation of God. And what does it say? It says that they made sacrifices and they made vows to God. These Gentiles become followers of Christ. It's another picture that what, what God was up to all the way along through Scripture is using a chosen group of people who were chosen to bring the message of God to all of the people. They were chosen to be priests 
to everyone else. And here's a picture of, of God just reinforcing that that's his mission statement. So the sailors are saved. And when you think about it, so too was Jonah. It says that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly for three days and three nights. The word appointed there is actually the word prepared. God prepared a fish for this moment. I love that because it shows us that God's in control. It shows us that God knew exactly what's going to happen. It's not like the sailor picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and God was like, oh, man, I didn't see that coming. Oh, what do we do now? I didn't know that that was going to happen. No, what it's saying is I knew. I knew all the way along. I knew that Jonah was going to run when I asked him. I knew that. I was going to send the storm. And so I prepared, and it's not really a fish. The best we can say is a sea creature, but everybody assumes it's a whale or a fish. It doesn't really matter to me, but what it says is he got it ready. He prepared it. Maybe he grew it beyond normal size. Whatever that means, he got the fish ready, not only physically uh, by, by its shape and its size, but physically by being in the right place at the right time so that when Jonah hit the water, he didn't go to the bottom of the sea where he would never be found. It was a way of preserving Jonah. God was in control. God knew exactly what was going to happen. But, but think about this. Just like the sailors, they get to the end of their rope. They're like, we cannot do anything else. Jonah got to the same place. Jonah said to himself, I cannot run anymore. I get it. So God, I put my life in your hands. And whether I perish in the sea or you preserve me, I am giving myself back to you. I am surrendering control to you. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, and God will calm the storm. The passage says that, that the whale swallowed him, and Jonah prayed to the Lord, the God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I call out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of hell. I cried, and you heard my voice. And the question I have for you today is, are you ready to give up? Are you ready to stop rowing against the storm? Are you ready to stop trying to do it in all of your own ways and it's just making things worse? Look, when we try to do things in our own way, we try to do things with our own solutions, we end up making the storm worse and worse. It gets more and more tempestuous. It just gets, keeps getting more and more because God's trying to say, would you just stop? Would you just give up? Would you just quit doing it your way? Would you surrender and do it my way? I said it last week. I think you're probably going to hear it almost every week. Jonah's story is our story. We are all guilty of looking for relief in the wrong places, in the arms of the wrong people, using the wrong stuff, trying to calm whatever that storm is that rages inside of you. And God is saying through Jonah, God is saying throughout his word, I alone have the answer to the storm. I am the only solution. You can try all you want, but nothing's going to calm the storm except absolute surrender to me. This is Baptism Sunday, and I, I know it's God's providence that it's Baptism Sunday because what we get to do for the next few minutes is we get to see living, breathing examples of Jonah's stories. People who have said, I cannot fight this anymore. God is God, and I need him in my life. And he is the only solution to the things that haunt me the most. And they've surrendered their lives to Christ. 
And they have this opportunity to come and to share their story with you. And, and I want to invite you to, to, to listen to what they're saying. And maybe you're one of those people who, who haven't surrendered yet. But just listen to the invitation of each one of the stories. How God shows up in the midst of the storm, just like for Jonah, just like for the sailor, and calms the storm. Here's what we believe at Grace. Baptism is an ordinance established by Jesus himself. There's nothing that saves us in baptism. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say you're saved by grace through faith. Not by works, or we could say not by baptism. It is a work of God through faith. And that's so that no one can boast. No one can say, I did this and I saved myself. No, God is the one who brings about salvation. Salvation comes through the blood shed on the cross through Jesus Christ. That's what saves people. But then he says, you've accepted me as your savior. I want you to be baptized. This is an ordinance and it's an act of obedience. But I want you to hear something. There is something supernatural that takes place in that tank. I can't explain it. I guess that's why they would call it supernatural, right? But when we come to the communion table, so we have communion up here, that's an ordinance established by Jesus himself. Every time you do this, remember me. Something supernatural is taking place. That's why we have to make sure we take it in an appropriate way. There's something about the spirit moving through this thing called the communion. The same thing is true when somebody gets in the tank, the spirit of God is moving. So Jesus was baptized. When he came up out of the water, what does it say? The spirit of God descended upon him like a dove and he went out in spirit, with the spirit in power and truth. There is something of a, a supernatural work that happens in baptism. No one is going into this tank unsaved and coming up saved. I just want to make sure that's clear. But God is at work in this. Some of you have said yes to Jesus and you haven't made this step of obedience. And my encouragement to you is do it. Allow God to move through this ordinance in your own life. And we're going to do it in the months to come. Immediately following the service, you can go out and you can go to the chapel and we'll kind of walk you through an orientation. But, but this is a powerful, powerful thing for us to do. Great morning for us to share in the lives of these people who are willing to take this act of obedience and climb into the baptism tank. Amen. Yeah, you can clap for that. So I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to invite um, some friends of mine to come up. The Nixons are going to come up, and you guys can start heading up this way. The band's going to start heading up this way. Um, but I want to pray for everyone who's participating uh, in baptism this morning. So, Lord, I do pray that you would do that supernatural thing that only you can do, that as people go into the tank and, and they are washed, that, that symbolism of being washed and coming up in a new life, it's, Lord, that you would descend upon them the Holy Spirit, that people would feel your presence in a way maybe they never have, that you would indwell them, you would fill them, that their lives would be to the, so full that your spirit would, would just pour out over the top. So we ask for a blessing as we move through these next few minutes. Bless the stories. Help the people in the room who are just trying to figure this all out. Help them to hear truth and to move one step closer to you. Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the Nixons. Let's welcome them on the stage. You ready? So this is Annika, and I want to start with her because really their journey to faith in Christ really started with the movement of God in Annika's life. So I just want her to share a little bit of that story and how did that come about, and then we'll get to hear from mom and dad. So this is mom, dad, daughter, just in case. That's why they share the same last name. 
Good. Okay, so um, growing up, I never really went to church. Um, it was just an occasional thing. And um, sixth grade, I started going to wildlife, which is kind of like the small groups here. It's for, wildlife is for the middle school kids. And then there's young life, which is for the high school age kids. And it's kind of an independent um, high school ministry. Yeah. So they're non-denominational, so that's, we support them, love what they do. Okay. <laughs> um, and during middle school, it was really just a place to go and hang out with my friends, have fun. I never really thought anything of it at the time. And eighth grade, I didn't go at all. But then freshman year of high school, I started going again. And high school was a big turnaround for me. It was not the best four years of my life, as some people say it will be. But um, <laughs> They lied. They, yeah, it was a complete lie. Um, no, so freshman year was okay. I had friends, a lot of friends. Um, the group of people I hung out with um, started to be really mean to me. Um, they would bully me just like beat me down and um, sophomore year was probably the worst it got really bad that year um, it got to a point where I did not like myself I um, felt like I was just disappointing everybody around me and I got to the point where I actually started harming myself um, because I did not feel good enough and the same year my sophomore year my grandpa also passed away and he was my world like I was his only grandchild and so that was another beat down for me and then that summer I went to Minnesota with Young Life for Castaway and my world started going up after that um we did <laughs> we do um 20 minutes of silence and we had to go anywhere we wanted to in the camp so I went to the beach because that's where God hangs out oh yeah for <laughs> sure um you know Jonah you got to go to the water that's right um so I sat down right by the beach but not like close enough to where like my feet were in the water but right when I sat down the tide got higher and touched my feet and um so I started praying started talking to God figuring out what my life was supposed to be what I'm supposed to do why all these bad things were happening to me. I started talking to my grandpa, and I, then I just sat in complete silence, and one of the houses that was surrounding the lake, I could hear it off in the distance, um, Bless the Broken Road by Rascal Flats was playing, and I just lost it. Um, I was bawling, thanking Jesus, um, and All that through Rascal Flats. Yep. I'm still amazed by that story. <laughs> and, yeah. um, God can use anything. Yeah, he can. And that's when I decided to walk this journey with Jesus. Um, which is, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I went home, and all the Young Life people know, we call it the Young Life High. After coming back from either the Timberwolf or um, summer camp, you are all about Jesus, all about, like, praying and worshiping, and then it just goes away. Um, but I tried my hardest to keep it up. Um, was always going to Young Life, went to the Thursday meetings, went to the Sunday meetings, tried to be at the house whenever I could. I became a wildlife leader. And um, so high school kept, it wasn't 
great, but it got better. And senior year, I met my best friend. Her name's Christy. Um, I don't know where I'd be without her. People say they would think we've been friends since we were, like, little, but no. Um, And then went to college, went in blind for my roommate, and my roommate my freshman year, her name's Anna. She's like my sister. I don't know how I lived life without her before. She is the light of my life. I love her so much. And, yeah. And then I brought them. I brought them just like that. (laughs) So... So Annika knew um, coming out of Young Life, which was a high school ministry, that she needed to stay connected. So she started coming to Grace because some of the Young Life leaders are connected to Grace. Um, God began to do a work with her even through here. And um, I'll let your mom tell this part of the story. But she started uh, offering some invitations to you to be here. She did. Um, Probably about nine months ago, our family um, faced a pretty big challenge. Um, My husband had back surgery and... Some of the repercussions of the back surgery became very challenging. And when Annika came home for summer, she realized how difficult it was and said, come on, Mom, let's go to church. So her and I would come to church, and we'd be singing through worship, and I'd find myself just bawling my eyes out for no apparent reason. No good reason. No good reason. (laughs) Um, And Annika, you know, very sweetly looked at me, it's normal, Mom get you a tissue Um, and there's tissue boxes everywhere so I know it's normal Um, and and so we just you know her and I kept coming she kept always giving that invitation and she went back to school and I continued to come by myself and um, and John would be home and one sat one Sunday um, after service uh, I came down to pray with one of the um, one of the people down here, and her name was Stacy Lemansky, and she was amazing. She listened to my story. She listened to John, and we prayed. And sure enough, the following Sunday, John looked at me and said, "I think I need to start coming to service with you." Awesome. And what was even better is Stacy was sitting behind me, and I turned around to her and I said. So she prayed for us some more. She gave us more hugs and more support. And it's, I have, there's a stirring that has happened. I owe a debt of gratitude to Annika. Um, but it's just I found home. And I found through the people of grace, through the Doug, the teachings, through the, all of the, the wonderful, wonderful people, it's, I, I have finally found my faith. That's awesome. You want to share a little bit? So uh, going on sort of behind the scenes to that was the fact that I had been at home with this uh, back surgery problem, wasn't really even leaving the house, and Annika continued to invite me to come, and you know, it was almost like a reversal of parental roles. She was the patient parent inviting, and I was the kid saying, no, I don't feel like it, or I don't need it, or, and she'd continue to invite patient, and I was the kid that thought I knew better. Got to push, she says. Yeah, I, 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 knew, I knew better. I was a good person. I didn't need, uh, you know, I treated people right. I, why did I need all of this? It was, of course, you know, what was going on in my head. Uh, so one time when uh, they were here for service, I was gradually moving closer, and I decided I'm going to, well, okay, I'll start watching the internet services online. And I, sitting in my recliner, got my laptop all set up, and the, this, uh, the service starts, the music starts, 
And before even a word had been uh, sung, I got this feeling. And if I had heard this story before from somebody, I never would have believed it a year ago. But I'm sitting there, and this feeling starts coming through me, and it's like I was cold and warm at the same time. And I just started sort of trembling, and tears started coming out. I'm all choked up, and tears are coming out of my eyes. Because that's normal. Cause that, yeah, because that's normal. It didn't feel normal at the time, I'll no. tell you. Oh, sure it did. <laughs> but I knew at that moment that was my wake-up moment that uh, had come maybe later than theirs. But uh, I heard, similar to what you said last week, I heard the words, come home. And I've been here ever since. Isn't that cool? So I'm going to pray for the Nixons, uh, and then we're going to have a celebration of baptism. And my encouragement to you is just celebrate with us. It is a cool thing that God is doing. So, Lord, thank you for um, this precious family that you so gently nudge to come here, and you even use storms to to get to some root of stuff and but that was all out of your love all of your your gentle care and thank you so much that uh high school wasn't the best four years because it was in the midst of that 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 the need was made clear that something more needed to happen so i just thank you for uh, their story i thank you for how they've blessed me and even in the last couple of weeks as i got a chance just to get to know them a little bit more and hear their stories just is so cool, so awesome to see you at work. So I pray that you would bless them, that they would continue to grow in their faith, to have an impact. Thank you for uh, how you've used this young girl to uh, witness to mom and dad and just to uh, bring a family to faith. It's a cool thing. So we just ask for your blessing as we continue in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Let's worship. Let's stand and sing together.